0: Although every Big East men's basketball team hasn't fully completed their non-conference schedules, what we do know is this weekend, Big East conference play is back. The gauntlet has arrived, and every team at some point will fall victim to it. It's a gauntlet. It's scary. It's 20 games over the span of, Of two and a half months, that gauntlet begins on Friday. And I'll cover the opening slate as well as a whole lot more coming up this weekend here on this brand new episode of the Igloo with me, Timmy Ice. So, not a lot of games over the past few days. So, let's talk about what happened Tuesday and Wednesday. DePaul going on the road, taking on UIC. And by the way, you know... That court at UIC, I know a lot of people will say it's gross. I personally like it because I, I I like the whole scheme of it with, you know, paying tribute to the city flag of Chicago. And I and I know about that because I me mean, as a wrestling fan, I'm a huge fan of CM Punk. And, you know, he always pays tribute to the city of Chicago with, you know, his tights. Um, his you know, if he wears pants instead of, you know, the typical tights. I just think it's cool. But you know, that's that's for another time. But DePaul, you know, UIC gave him quite a bit of a scare. And you know, look at certain points in the second half, like DePaul was gonna pull away, but UIC, to their credit, did not go away. And you know, after DePaul got a four point lead with about 528 to go, UIC responded with a 7 0 run to go up by three. But DePaul closes the game on a 9-0 run to pull away and win 72-66. Wasn't a pretty night for Javon Freeman-Liberty, but he led all scorers with 27 points, seven boards, three assists, eight for 23 from the floor, one for six from three, and to be honest, no one from DePaul really shot the three ball well. They were just three for 15 from deep, good for only 20%. Luckily for them, UIC was... Even worse from three. They made five of them compared to DePaul's three, but they were just 18% roughly from three. Also for the Blue Demons, they got 15 and nine out of David Jones. Six for 10 from the floor. Brandon Johnson had nine. Nick on Genda with 12 points, four boards, and a pair of block shots seven points, 7.7 rebounds, and really not much from the bench. They only got two points, and that was from Yorani. And a scoreless night in 23 minutes from Jalen Terry. As for the Flames, leading the way for them was Demaria Franklin with 24 points, 12 boards, 9 for 19 from the floor, however, just 2 for 9 from deep. They also got 12 from Michael Diggins. On six of eight shooting, 11 from Jalen Warren to go with eight assists. And then off the bench, they got 10 from Zion Griffin. So DePaul quietly is nine and one on the season, heading into another big. It's not really inner city because Evanston is, you know, in the suburbs of Chicago, but a huge local rivalry to get to their 10th win potentially on the season before they start conference play on Monday. Meanwhile, Creighton was shocked at home by Arizona State. And by the way, Arizona State was 2-6 and six at one point, but you know, they had won back-to-back games coming into that game because they had won in overtime at Oregon, and then they beat Grand Canyon at home, and Grand Canyon is no slouch. But the Sun Devils come into Omaha, and they beat Creighton 58-57. to I mean, it was a neck-and-neck game for a long time. And here's the thing. So, Arizona State had the ball. Shot clock was winding down. First of all, the officials missed a travel because the ball handler for Arizona State, at the time, picked up his dribble. And then they called... A phantom foul. I mean, you could call it ticky-tack. I think it was more of a phantom foul. But they call it on Arizona State, which at that point, that wipes the shot clock out given how much time is left. So Creighton still had, I think, two or three fouls left to give. So they had a foul multiple times. So just to stop, stop the clock with six seconds to go, I mean, they got lucky with Arizona State missing the front end of a one and one and Ryan Kalkbrenner getting the rebound. But again, this could have been avoided had, you know, the correct calls been made. I mean, I'm not saying it won or lost the game, obviously, but it would have given Creighton a much better chance of, you know, winning the game, because they were down one. But Arizona State, they hold on to win after Ryan Nemhard misses the potential game winner. Final score 58-57. Pretty balanced effort from the Sun Devils. Leading their leading scorer was DJ Horn who only had a dozen. And they got 10 each from Marion Jackson and Jay Heath, uh the latter which came off the bench. Horn was 5-11 from the floor, 2 for 6 from 3. Jackson 4 for 9 from the floor, 2 for 3 from deep. And Heath was 5 for 12. Missed his only 3-point attempt while grabbing 7 rebounds. And by the way, Jackson 5 boards, 4 assists. You know, other notable bench contributions, You know they got 22 points from the bench. On top of Heath's 10, they got 8 from Alonzo Gaffney and 4 from Enoch Bokiai. As for Creighton... Ron Kalkbrenner led all scorers with 16 points, nine rebounds, and six for seven from the field. Alex O'Connell with 11 points for Ryan Nemhart just wasn't his night. Seven points, eight assists, two for seven from the field, one for four from three. You know, Ryan Hawkins in particular really struggled. You know, his previous two games, I mean, he was tremendous. But on this night, hey, it just wasn't his night. 6 points, 10 rebounds, 2 for 12 from the floor, just 1 for 8 from 3. Arthur Kaluma, better game from him, 9 points, 8 rebounds. And then they only got 8 combined points from the bench. Trey Alexander, who was called for that phantom foul, had 6 points on 1 of 2 shooting. Again, all those attempts and makes came from 3-point land. And then Keyshawn Fiesel in 11 minutes, two points. So Arizona State, a stunning win in Omaha. It's it's not easy to win there. It really isn't. So Creighton, they fall to 8-3. and three. Now, Wednesday, Georgetown hosting Howard. And it was a high-scoring affair. Georgetown led by 7 at the break. They win 85-73, but a career night off the bench for for Tyler Beard, the freshman from Chicago, 23 points, 7 for 9 from the floor, 3 for 4 from 3. Georgetown's a team really great, 55% from the field. (coughs) Man, excuse me. And 7 for 16 from 3, which is good for right around 44%. Four of the five Hoya starters were in double figures as well. 15 from Colin Holloway who got the start over Caden Rice who missed Wednesday's game. He did foul out, but again, he had those 15 points, was 5 for 7 from the floor and grabbed 5 rebounds. 14 from Donald Carey on 4 of 7 shooting, all from 3 point range. 8 rebounds and 3 assists. How about 13 from Malcolm Wilson to go with eight rebounds, six for six from the field, four block shots. And then they got 10.7 assists from Dante Harris, five for 17 from the floor. And off the bench, six from Ryan Matumbo, who was three for five in 12 minutes and grabbed three rebounds. As for Howard, they were led by 26 from Kyle Foster, 16 from Ty Bibbs, and 11 from Elijah Hawkins. I mean the the starters did scored 70 of the 73 points. The only player to score off the bench was Sam Green who knocked down a 3 and only played 9 minutes, but the other starters Steve Settle the third with 9 points and then 8 from uh from Randall Brumont. So Georgetown starting to play much better as of late. They're now 6 and 4 on the season heading into their non-conference finale against TCU which I'm going to touch on in just a second. And meanwhile, for Xavier, they become the second Big East team to reach the 10-win mark on the season. The 22nd-ranked Musketeers, they beat Moorhead State 86-63. to And Xavier really opened up a can in the first half, leading 47-19. to And leading the way for the Musketeers is a very well-balanced effort. Jerome Hunter, with arguably... His best game of the year, 15 points, 6 rebounds, and 4 assists in 30 minutes, and was 6-for-11 from the field, 2-for-4 from 3. They got 14 from Colby Jones on 6-of-9 shooting and 1-for-3 three from 3. Jack Nunji, 13-and-7 off the bench in 22 minutes, and was th- only 3-for-4 from the floor, but a perfect 7-for-7 seven seven from the free-throw line. Adam Kunkel, a dozen points, All from behind the arc, and from behind the arc, 4 for 9, and was 4 for 10 from the field. They got 9 from Zach Fremantle in only 19 minutes, was 3 for 6 from the floor, made his only 3-point attempt, 5 boards, 3 assists. Nate uh, Nate Johnson with 8 points on 2 of 6 shooting, all from 3-point range, and also, you know, went 2 for 3 from the free-throw line. Paul Scruggs, 7 points, 6 boards, 6 assists. Two for five from the floor, made his only three-point attempt. and Antoine Odom chipped in six points while dishing out six assists off the bench in 21 minutes. And Ben Stanley uh, scored a bucket in four minutes. As for Moorhead State, they were led by 20 from Johnny Broom. 19 from Trey Hollowell. And they didn't really get much from anybody else. The rest of the team scored a combined 24 points, and they got 13 combined points from the bench. And their leading scorer off the bench scored five points and only played two minutes, which was Tajon Claude. So Xavier, 10-1. and one. And, you know, the top of the Big East, it looks like it's anyone's game, and that includes with Villanova. Because Xavier's look great. UConn's look very good. Seton Hall has looked very good. But again, we'll find out who the best who who the who the beast of the Big East is when conference play starts, and that starts Friday night. But while that's beginning, the Big East Big 12 battle will be wrapping up on Saturday as Georgetown hosts TCU in the final leg of the battle. The third annual battle this year. If Georgetown wins, the Big East wins the battle outright 6-4. But if TCU wins, the Big 12 will salvage the split. And I will have Pat Waring, who I had on as the Georgetown representative on this year's Big East Roundtable for the season premiere back in October. He will join me to preview that game coming up next here in the igloo, so don't go anywhere. The final leg of the Biggies Big 12 battle goes down Saturday afternoon at Capital One Arena in our nation's capital. What's at stake? If Georgetown wins, the Biggies wins the Big 12 battle outright for the second time in three years. If TCU wins, the Big 12 salvages a split for the second consecutive year. So the Hoyas are the defending Biggies tournament champions and They're trying to finish out their non-conference schedule. Start off a little rough. They got a win over Syracuse a week ago, and they look to finish strong. And joining me to break down this matchup in the final leg of this battle is Patrick Waring, who was the Georgetown representative on the season premiere of the Igloo on the second annual Big East Roundtable. Patrick, welcome back to the Igloo, man.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me back, Tim, man. I'm excited to be back. Like I said, definitely – Definitely excited! Basketball is here. The season started, man, so I'm loving it.
0: And hey, conference play starts tonight, but we still got a little bit of non-con flavor uh, before the Hoyas. I know they got their first Biggies game uh, just a few days from now, uh, but you know, let's talk about where the Hoyas stand right now. You know, a rough start. You know, they lost their home opener to Dartmouth. They lost, you know, two games out in California. They lost at South Carolina. Uh, You know, what are the major changes that you've seen from Georgetown and how they've turned things around in their last three games?
1: Um, I think the big, you know, the biggest thing for the team is, you know, I think they're gelling. Like, a lot of people didn't want to hear it in the beginning, but, I mean, coach, Coach warned people. He told people to be patient. You know, this was a different group. There were going to be some bumps, things they have to work out. And I think that held true. Like I said, a lot of people may not have wanted to hear it at that time, but I mean, I think he was upfront and honest about stuff. And lately, I think they're kind of finding their rhythm a little bit. They're kind of finding their rotation. They're kind of finding uh, out who they are, so to speak. So these last three games, I think the team's coming together nicely. um, For the most part, the young guys are getting involved. Uh, Aminu Muhammad has definitely been uh, as advertised but other guys are kind of finding their way too. Tyler Beard, uh, Ryan Matumbo, Colin Holloway was able to contribute. So when you take those guys and you put them with the Don Carey, with the Caden Rice, uh, I think we're starting to see a little bit more what this team can do.
0: So the Syracuse game was obviously a huge win for this team, and that was really the coming out party for the aforementioned Amina Muhammad. Uh, to you, has he looked like the clear cut best freshman in the league?
1: Uh, I think so, man. And, you know, he, I mean, he was a guy that we we obviously knew was talented. We obviously knew um he was a guy that was highly sought after. I think the first couple games of the year, uh, we definitely knew this is a guy that could mix it up. He goes downhill, goes towards the baskets, tough, scrappy. We saw that, but I think, I think even more and more now we're seeing him. A little more comfortable, a little more more comfortable with his teammates, a little bit more comfortable out on the court. And now we're seeing a little bit more. Um, South Carolina game didn't go nowhere the way that Georgetown wanted it to. But I mean, we got a highlight dunk from him. We saw some um, we saw some other plays. Uh, Syracuse game, like you said, was really the kind of coming out party for people that really didn't know who he was. I mean, the way he was able to help Georgetown attack that zone, make plays, stay active. Um, Patrick Ewan called him special. He's definitely special.
0: So going up against TCU, this is the first time TCU—not only is it the first time TCU is ever facing Georgetown. This is the first time they're playing in the nation's capital. I mean, this is a very interesting matchup. You know, we didn't think it would have that kind of intrigue until now given how Georgetown's played and given the fact tcu who was probably picked towards the finish towards the bottom of the big 12 they're eight and one coming off a pretty good win against texas a and m you know wh- what do you personally see from the horn frogs and you know how well they've played so far under uh, a name that is very familiar to georgetown fans and that is former pit head coach jamie dixon
1: yeah, no, nah, definitely. Dixon's definitely a name uh, that's familiar to Georgetown fans, especially the the older Big East fans. Um, I'll tell you, it's kind of interesting. So when these matchups were first set up, a lot of Georgetown fans, they were like, ah, you know, it didn't really seem appealing to them. They wanted, a, you know, a different name. But this TCU team is tough. And I think they've shown it. You know, like you said, eight and one starting out, they've been on a roll. So this is definitely going to be a tough contest. Um, I'll admit to you, I'm still trying to do a little bit more homework on TCU. That was my job after this last game was to kind of focus on them a little bit more. Um, but they definitely have a tough point guard, Miles. He's definitely drawing attention from Georgetown, even talking, uh, hearing the guys talk during media availability today. They know he's going to be a focus, a focal point for them. And some, some you know, somebody they're going to have to, key on if they're able to find success Saturday Um, another thing from them that stands out is they rebound Uh, coach coach you actually referred to them as an elite rebounding team so trying to uh, attack attack them um, and beat them on the glass uh, is definitely going to be something that's going to be big if they want to win as well
0: and you talk about that point guard matchup I mean obviously when you talk point guards you can't talk about this without the other half of the equation which is Dante Harris the reigning biggest tournament most outstanding player you know I I know he's been steady he's been solid but are we going to have to see that kind of performance that we saw in those four nights at Madison Square Garden in order for Georgetown to win this game
1: well we definitely want to see Dante bring his a game we definitely want to see that I mean what he did in uh what he did in March at Madison Square Garden was magical you know, it did so much for him, him on a personal level and for Georgetown. But yeah, I mean, Dante is going to have to come out. He's going to have to um, definitely, definitely bring his A game out there and um, do what he does best, man. He, you know, he's a tough guy. He will, you know, he, you know, get the ball, get in the paint, get it to the guys to score or score, you know, score himself. I think, I think his three has been something that he's been working on as far as that part of his game. Um, but yeah, man, Dante, you know Dante kind of run, you know, run runs the ship. Um, I also think a guy to watch out for too is is uh, Tyler Beard, the freshman. A lot of people thought about him just being a backup at first to Dante, but we've seen the last few games that coach is going to play those guys together at times too, and it's been working. You know, it worked in the Syracuse game. Um, and then it worked the other night against Howard as well. Matter of fact, Tyler Baird had uh had his career high against Howard. So I think a combination of both of those guys is definitely going to be what Georgetown needs. But but yeah, to the original question, man. I mean, we need Dante to be Dante. And um, I think I think a thing that stands out to me just by being able to talk to him is no matter what happens, like last year in March and expectations and stuff, you can ask him any question about him individually, what he does, and he always takes it back to team. So this is a guy that wants to get better. This is a guy that wants to be great. But he doesn't really want to talk about him too much. It's all about what he can do for the team and if the team wins or loses. So I think that's, I think that's the thing that a lot of Georgetown uh, fans love about him.
0: And that's exactly how you want your point guard to carry himself 150%. Now, um, you know, we talk about, you know, guys like Tyler Beard. I mean, there have been plenty of guys who, you know, you don't look at as like, you know, the stars of the team, if you will, that have had breakout performances, like Beard. Holloway's had a breakout performance. And, you know, if there's any real X factor, and I, if, if I think I'm going to choose this as my X factor, and maybe you can go with it or maybe something else. I think an X factor in this game, if Georgetown's depth can either pick up the slack or elevate um, how the starters do, you know, that can put Georgetown over the edge and give them the edge to win this huge non-conference finale.
1: Yeah, no, no doubt. I mean, we're going to need to have, you know, a team effort. Um, And we've seen that over the wins. I mean, we've had different guys step up at different times when you talk about the young guys. I mean, Ryan Matumbo shows some flashes at times. Colin Holloway, the Longwood game, the game against Syracuse has done some stuff. Tyler Beard's been stepping up, um, and not just against Howard. I mean, Howard was kind of the the big one for Beard, but there's been other games where he's passed the ball and does stuff. He maybe he didn't score, but he did a lot to contribute to help. So I just think coaches talked a lot about when when conference play hits he doesn't want his freshmen playing like freshmen. And I think a positive sign for him on that is guys have been stepping up, you know, whenever their number called, they, they, you know, they talk about next man up. They talk about guys coming in um whenever your numbers call being ready to play. And I think we're starting to see that. So, you know, in the,
0: in the grand scheme of things, you know, what do you think would be one or two of the most important things that Georgetown needs to execute on well in order to win this game?
1: I think the big thing is kind of what's been the common theme. And that's, you know, defensively, you have to be able to stop the three. And I know that TCU, you know, they don't shoot the three extremely well. But don't let this be the game where they take off or where they're able to knock down shots against you. So I think on defense, you always want to take care of – Running guys off three point line, um, and also transition D. Transition D is a the thing to keep an eye on, and and you know the players the players acknowledge that as well. That's a focal point as far as defensive wise. Offensively, gotta take care of the basketball. I think this team can score. I think they have guys. You got Caden Rice, who's one of the the top three point shooters in the country. You know he's a top guy in the Big East. He can knock down shots. Don Carey can knock down shots. Aminu can hit you, you know, multiple ways. Don taking score. So the points are there, but you got to make sure you give yourself an opportunity to score by not turning the ball over. So taking care of the basketball is definitely going to be a plus. I think as long as they don't turn the ball over, I think they'll get themselves more than enough opportunities to win the game. So,
0: you know, when all is said and done right around four four o'clock Eastern tomorrow afternoon, uh, you know who wins this game? Is it gonna be the Horn Frogs or is it gonna be the Hoyas?
1: I got it being a tight game, man. But I'm gonna go ahead and lean lean towards Georgetown. I think I think Georgetown's on a run right now. Now, Kaden Rice and Jalen Billingsley, they were out Wednesday. Coach said they should be ready to play on Saturday. Um, they did take a hit with Jordan Riley. He, he's actually having shoulder surgery today if he hasn't already had it. But I think if you get those guys back. If they take care of the basketball, riding the momentum that they've been on, it's gonna be a tough task. But I got Georgetown coming out with this. You know, Caden um, and Rice knocked down your shots. Um, Don Carey knocked down your shots, guys play some defense, get scrappy. I you know, I like the chances. So, you know,
0: man, my heart really wants Georgetown to win, but you know, as I look more and more into the matchup and I look at more at TCU. You know, I think TCU is just going to find a way to win it because I feel like that's the common theme that they've done. You know, it hasn't been pretty. They haven't really played a great amount of competition, but they just somehow, some way, just find ways to win. And, uh, you know, again, my heart wants Georgetown. It genuinely does. But my brain is just telling me TCU, but I'm going to, you know, pull a Charles Barkley like, guarantee. (laughs) <laughs> one po- one possession ge- it'll be a one possession game book it one to three points calling it right there and if I'm wrong I'm wrong but if, if I'm right I'm going to go like Billy Madison I'm the smartest man alive
1: <laughs> hey look man I you know totally no you know no disrespect to TCU and like I said the, the more and more I've been looking at them I mean they've done a great job the conference has their conference as a whole has done a great job this year um, the guys are rolling, like you said, taking care of the glass, they got a point guard that can, you know, that can play. So, um, no, n- no, no easy matchup at all. Um, no slight to them at all. I think, you know, Georgetown's going to have to be on an A game. Georgetown talked a lot of too about how, you know, having to step their game up defensively, uh, especially in transition. So I think they're well aware of what they need to do to win. And um, I just hope to see a good game on Saturday. Like I said, they're on a roll right now. TCU's playing. We're going to find out on Saturday.
0: And we sure will. 2 o'clock Eastern, FS1, Saturday afternoon. Patrick Waring, love the breakdown. Appreciate the time. And, uh, you know, after this game, you know, the biggest Big 12 battle will be over. You know, conference play is already going to be starting this weekend. Uh, but, you're, but the Hoyas are going to be uh, starting uh, their conference schedule Wednesday night. So thanks for the time and, you know, hope to catch up again soon once, uh, you know, conference play gets rolling and hell, you know, we might even run into each other at the Biggies tournament.
1: Sounds good, man. Thanks a lot for having me on, man. I appreciate it. Weekend picks,
0: including some major news coming up after this. Welcome back inside the Igloo. Thank you again to Pat Waring for coming on and breaking down the final leg of the Biggies Big 12 battle this year. TCU and Georgetown should be a very good game. I mean, for the Big East sake, I hope Georgetown wins this game. My heart is pulling for them. However, my brain is just telling me TCU just has too much for Georgetown to handle. And that's why I'm picking the Horned Frogs to win this weekend. So, moving on to the rest of the weekend picks. And thanks to, you know, the emergence of the Omicron variant of COVID. Hell, it might not even be that, but just... The huge spike in COVID cases across sports, not even just in college basketball. I mean, well, just specifically in college basketball. I mean, you've seen a a huge number of games wiped out for this weekend and over the next week or so just before Christmas. And the Big East lost two of those games this weekend. The second leg of the Gotham Classic, 16th ranked Seton Hall was supposed to play Iona, but because of COVID cases, Within the Pirates program, that game will not be played. And also, DePaul Northwestern will not happen as well. The Blue Demons had COVID cases within their program. So, both of those teams at 9-1 and one are out of action this weekend. Maybe even longer, we'll see, uh, due to COVID protocols. And both of those games are scheduled for 3 o'clock. Uh, the Steen Hall Iona game was supposed to be on FS2 at Madison Square Garden. Again, that was the second leg of the Gotham Classic. And then DePaul Northwestern was also scheduled for 3 o'clock over on Big Ten Network from Welsh Ryan Arena in Evanston. But let's get into the games that, fingers crossed, hopefully I'm not going to jinx it here, will happen. Biggie's play starts tonight. Ninth ranked Villanova at Creighton. These two teams were the top teams in the league a year ago. They finished 1-2. and two. For Villanova, they got something to prove. You know, last year, they went to Omaha and really got beat down badly. But for one specific player... This is personal. Well, nothing against Creighton. It's the fact that he had his season-ending knee injury against the Blue Jays in what was supposed to be his final home game back in March, and that's Colin Gillespie. You know, had that knee injury not happened, who knows if he would have used that extra year of eligibility that he had because of COVID. Well, everything has happened... The way that it has, Gillespie returned for his final year, and it's really only fitting that the first game of the Biggie schedule is against the team he suffered that season ending knee injury against. Although it won't be at the same exact site of the injury, which is Finner and Pavilion. Uh, this game is in Omaha at the CHI Health Center. Villanova is a six and a half point favorite as I'm looking at this now. And you know what? Don't expect Villanova to steamroll their way through this game. I know Creighton has already lost twice at home this year to Iowa State and most recently to Arizona State. But this Blue Jays team and this Creighton crowd will not let this team get blown out on their home court. I think Creighton will put up a fight, but I think Villanova is just too good. Give me the Wildcats, and I have them winning by five in this game. Moving on to Saturday, the games that, again, fingers crossed will be played. Crossroads Classic at Gamebridge Fieldhouse in Indianapolis. Butler taking on number three, Purdue. The Boilermakers, their only loss came at the hands of Rutgers, as was mentioned before, on that near half court buzzer beater by Ron Harper Jr. Purdue is just too damn good. And Butler, I know they got Miles Tate back. But even then, they're still rather shorthanded. Bryce Enzi's still out. You know, there's only so much Chuck Harris can do. You know, he's obviously going to have to get a lot of help in order for the Bulldogs to win this game. Obviously, Purdue's just too good, too big, and too athletic. Give me the Boilermakers winning this game by at least double digits. So the one Gotham Classic game that will happen, St. John's taking on Pitt at noon on FS1 from Madison Square Garden. And this is St. John's' first home game officially since pre-pandemic. I know technically it's a neutral site game, kind of, because, you know, it's an invitational. It's not really a marcated St. John's home game. But the Johnny still call it a home game, nevertheless. It's awful. I mean, that goes without saying. I mean, this team is 3-7 and seven with a double-digit loss to the Citadel, a double-digit loss at West Virginia, which is fair, double-digit losses at home to Vanderbilt and UMBC, a game in which they... Uh, and then they blew a lead against Minnesota in the Big Ten ACC Challenge, blew a four-point lead in the final minute before losing at the Horn at Virginia, Barely got by Colgate and lost at home to Monmouth. St. John's absolutely has to win this game because, you know, they've lost twice against decent competition in Indiana. Well, Indiana's, you know, we're going to have to see more of them, but we all know what Kansas is made of. Losing to Kansas isn't bad. I mean, they got beaten badly in that game, but still, I don't think the committee is going to hold anything against them for losing to KU. But given that they really haven't played anybody outside of that, with the exception of Monmouth, really, and they barely got by them, you know, St. John's, they got to win this game to avoid a bad loss before the start of conference play. I think St. John's wins this game. I got them winning by 12 only. So I already went over TCU Georgetown. Um, You heard that in the last segment. I got TCU winning, although, again, my heart's pulling for Georgetown because I want the Biggies to win the battle outright for the second time in three years after getting the split a year ago, and also coming off the heels of, you know, dominating the Big Ten in the Gavit game 6-2 to two this year for their first outright win in that series. But, two more Big games going on Saturday, 4 o'clock FS1, 22nd ranked Xavier hosting Marquette. I'm assuming Xavier's going to be a heavy favorite in this game. But if you know Shaka Smart's teams from VCU and from Texas, they do not wave the white flag and they don't, roll over for anyone. I mean I mean St. Bonaventure, you know, would have something to say about that. I mean, they, I mean they really steamrolled Marquette down in Charleston, but Marquette, you know, to their credit, you know, they didn't give up. Played to the final whistle. And they did the same at Wisconsin and at home against UCLA a week ago. And, you know, it's wild that, you know, Marquette was down so much against UCLA. And then, you know, they somehow, some way, you know, got down to nine in the final two minutes. So, it's just a testament to the kind of character that Shaka Smart teams have in, already in his first year at Marquette. So, that's why I'm saying Xavier will win this game, obviously. But Marquette is going to put up a fight. I got the Muskies only winning by Six. And again, it's not a knock on Xavier. It's more credit to Marquette for not giving up and for just finding a way to stay in games rather than, you know, under Wojo, you'd see them fold and really, you know, let their opponents have their way with them at the end and blow the doors off them. And you see blowout results as we had seen before. So Xavier by six. And then arguably the biggest Big East game of the weekend. Number 20, UConn hosting Providence. Five o'clock on Fox from the XL Center. UConn fans, they're saying this is the do-over, if you will. Because last year, in their first year back in the Big East, they couldn't have fans in the building to commemorate it. And to celebrate it, if you will. But this is the do-over. And they're facing a regional and original foe in terms of the Big East. And that's Providence. If Providence beats UConn, there should be no argument that Providence team should absolutely 100% be ranked next week if they beat UConn. And Providence is... In a very good position to win this game. Because Adama Sonogo most likely will still be out. Which opens the door for Nate Watson to possibly have a big game. Tyrese Martin's status is still up in the air. and Believe it or not, Sonogo's is still kind of up in the air. Although I'm assuming he probably won't be ready to go for this game. But Martin most likely should be ready to go. I mean, he was a game time decision against St. Bonaventure a week ago. But didn't go due to that wrist injury. But you know what? I'm a, I'm expecting Martin to go, and given how these teams compete against one another, a year ago, their two meetings were decided by a combined one point, which was UConn outscoring Providence one thirty two to one thirty one. I'm expecting another tightly contested game and probably neither, I don't think any either team is going to score 70 points in this game. Because that's the kind of style of play that you're going to see when these two teams collide. Good old gritty Northeast basketball. New England basketball. But in the end, I think UConn, you know, on the backs of RJ Cole and Isaiah Whaley, And I think UConn's bench will make a big difference in this game and put UConn over the edge and give the Huskies a narrow win. I got the Huskies winning by a solitary bucket, a two-point win for the Huskies. So that wraps up this episode of the Igloo. I had to change a lot because of the obvious changes within the schedule with the COVID cases at Seton Hall and DePaul. You know, I, you know, this is my third time around recording this, so hopefully the third time's a charm and nothing changes, fingers crossed, uh, by the time this comes out, or after this comes out, I should say. But coming up on Saturday on the Igloo, uh, shifting gears to the women's side, Russ Steinberg, writer and editor from Boardroom, and one of the best women's insiders that I follow, at least, You know, he, you know, he follows UConn pretty closely. And, you know, he's got a pretty good pulse on women's college basketball in general. Uh, But he'll be my first women's hoops insider guest that will be joining me here on the Igloo. And on that, he will be discussing Paige Beckers' injury and how the Huskies will fare during the timetable, which she'll be out. She had her surgery on Monday uh, before the day before I put out the most recent women's episode that I had. So, her timetable is going to be eight weeks, and Russ is going to join me to break down how the Huskies will fare without her during that eight-week stretch. And, you know, they have some tough games. Obviously, in the non-conference, you know, in January, they visit Oregon and top-ranked South Carolina, who they already lost to down in the Bahamas. And other important non-conference games, you know, this Sunday... They take on number 6 Louisville at the Hall of Fame Classic at Mohegan Sun Arena. And then right around the time where Paige might be coming back, maybe she'll be back in time, maybe not, but they take on a top 10 Tennessee team as it stands right now at home at the Excel Center on February 6th. And then, you know, this UConn team, by the way, they never lost a game in the AAC. They haven't lost a conference game since March of 2013. And probably their best shot at losing a conference game this year, with or without Beckers, comes New Year's Eve when they go to Chicago to visit DePaul, who has already pulled an upset of a top 25 team. As I mentioned before, they went on the road, beat number four, 14 Kentucky. So Russ will be joining me to talk about how the Huskies will do during the timetable, now that we know it, that Beckers will be out with that knee injury. So until tomorrow, this Timmy Ice signing off from the Igloo. Thank you for tuning in. And given the huge rise in COVID cases, just make sure to be safe out there. You know, look out for yourself and look out mm-hmm. for everyone around you cuz you know your health matters and so so does the health of everyone else you know we've already lost so many lives due to covid you know and the last thing we need is for cases to continue to rise at this rate and, and in turn you know having the number of deaths rise at at that rate as well so again be safe out there look out for each other thank you for tuning in and i hope y'all will tune in tomorrow Uh, when we shift gears to the women's side and Russ Steinberg joins me.